this morning, I would like you to take that Bible in your hand, whether it be electronic, leather, paper, whatever it might be, take it and turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. The book of 1 Peter chapter 4. We call the Bible, if you have it, you can just hold it there. We call the Bible the good news, and it is good news. I almost always begin by reading the good news, but not today. Today I begin with some bad news, but I want you to stay with me because the good news is going to be coming. Barna Research, Barna Research is a firm that studies changes in American values and priorities. One of the areas that Barna researches is the studies is 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 the the study called the state of the church by the church i don't mean a denomination i mean the church the 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 people who identify as christian and they do these extensive studies the state of the church here are some of their most recent findings and i warn you this is going to hurt in our nation From the year 2000 to 2020, 20 years, practicing Christians, and by practicing Christians, this is how they define practicing Christians, people who agree strongly that faith in Jesus Christ is important in their, very important in their lives, and who have attended a church within the last month. That number in the, in, from 20, 2000 to 2020 has gone from 40 per, 45% of the U.S. population to 25%. I want you to see that graphic. That means that people who, who would be considered practicing Christians has almost been cut in half in the span of only 20 years. Non-practicing Christians, and by that, they are defined as people who identify as Christians. Yes, I'm a Christian as opposed to some other religion. Uh, but They identify as Christians, but who also say that faith in Christ is not very important to them and who no longer attend any Christian church. That number has gone from 35% in 2000 to 43% in 2020. So that has gone up. Practicing Christians, it has dropped almost in half. Non-practicing Christians, it has gone up considerably. And non-Christians, that is persons in our nation who do not identify whatsoever as Christian, has increased from 20 to 32%, all in the span of 20 years. I told you this would hurt. This is not good news. Barna also revealed that in the last 10 years, 2010 to 2020, Americans who read from the Bible at least one time each week has gone from 46 to 35%. And Americans who prayed to God at least once a week has gone from 85% to 69%. Those are disturbing numbers. Nobody is saying amen. No one is getting excited. Those are difficult numbers. Those numbers, those trends about the state of the church, about the body of Christ in our nation. This does not study other nations, but the state of the church in our nation, this hurts. And while the numbers, they, these are, these, what, what, what bothers me so much is that more than statistics, 
more than simply numbers on a screen. These represent souls. In our nation, this this represents people who once identified with Jesus Christ, but who now no longer do. Yes, some have passed away. But these are disturbing numbers because they represent people. While the numbers may vary by region, the statistics in this community or in your community have largely followed these same trends. I would love to tell you this morning that here in, in northeastern South Dakota, we're different and, and we have bucked the trend and that the, the state of the church is healthier now 20 years after the beginning of this millennium than it was uh, at that time. I would love to tell you that, but it would absolutely not be true. Because we have followed many of these trends, and I believe much of what we are seeing in our nation, again, this is only focused upon our nation, much of what we are seeing in our nation is because of some of these trends, because of some of these erosions. They are connected somehow. Now, here's the thing. We look at numbers like this, and some of these you maybe have been aware of. Some of these uh, uh, may be new to you, uh, but, but, but these, these numbers, we are quick to blame other people. When we look at these numbers and the declines in the important areas and the, the increases in the disturbing areas, we're quick to blame other people or other things. We're quick to blame the news media aren't we? We, we say, boy, if, 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 if the news media did this, then, then it would be so much better. We're quick to blame the elected officials. Say, well, things would have been different if we would, have, would not have had this person at, at some level of elected office. We're quick to blame Hollywood. We're quick to blame the educational system. It's easy to point our fingers, but the problem, I believe, that a large part of the problem is much closer than that. In 1 Peter chapter 4, you have it in your hands. God inspired the, the apostle named Peter to write how fiery trials and tests and sufferings had come and were coming. We're talking about things that, that, were, that, were, that they had experienced, some very, very difficult times. The, the times then are different than now, but the challenges they faced then were just as big, perhaps even in some ways greater than the challenges that we face now. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 reads this way, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. What this is saying here is that, that when those trials, those tests, those sufferings, you see all of those words there in that line. When you see these things come, we are to rejoice, we are to, to uh, 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 not, not regard it as something strange, but that we are to be, rejoice and be glad when God's glory is revealed in the midst of those times. How many of the things that we're going through right now, individually, corporately, as a nation, how many of the things that we're going through right now are because God has a greater plan for us and he is testing his church, he is putting us to the test and refining us so that greater things are ahead. We're then told here in 1 Peter chapter 4 how we're to live 
when those times come. Verse 14 reads this way. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him excuse me, glorify God in that name. It's saying here, these difficult times are going to come, but when they come, may you, may you, may they, they, they see Christ in you rather than the evil that is so prevalent in this world in you. And then it says here that, that if anyone suffers, let him not be ashamed. We, we, we should rejoice again. Let him glorify God in that name that we are to regard ourselves as blessed when we're insulted for the name of Jesus Christ. Isn't that remarkable? When was the last, don't raise your hands, but when was the last time you came home and you said to your family, boy, I was blessed today and they're thinking something good. Yeah, somebody insulted me because I'm a Christian. But that's what we're to do. When, when we face these challenging times and because of our faith in Jesus Christ, there's pushback, that is to be regarded as a blessing. And I know that's contrary to many people's thinking, but that's gospel. And then look at verse 17. It's a very key verse. It says this, For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. So you see the big picture here? Fiery times, tests, and sufferings are coming. When they come, act this way. And then it says this, For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. If you underline in your Bibles, underline verse 17. It's time for judgment to begin at the household of God. You see, it's very easy to analyze the world around us. It's very easy to look at all of the different entities in our world and lay blame. But how much of the problem, how much of the numbers that we have seen that, that I just had on the board a few moments ago, how much of the problem is because we, the church, the body of believers, have not taken certain things as seriously as we should? How much of the problems that we're facing in our society, in our world today have happened because believers were distracted by something else or someone else? How many of those trends are present because we failed to take things that the Word says are serious, seriously? See, other things, I've found this, I know this, I've experienced them. Other things can distract us, especially in uncertain times. When we see the uncertainty of our present or our, our future, we can get so distracted by so many things. When we see so much turmoil in our community, in our region, in our nation, and in our world, we, we can get distracted by so many things. When the pressure's on, when the pushback is strong, we can get distracted by so many things. And let me add this, in the best of times, we can get distracted by so many things. Boy, this world offers no shortage of things that can distract me and get me off of point. Other things can capture our passions, and we can lose sight of the serious calling that God has upon us. And I can't help but wonder, 
If the church, that is the, the, the body of Christ, believers, people who profess faith in Christ, in, in, faith in Christ in our nation, I wonder how many of them over the last 20 years or 10 years or 5 years or 6 months, how many people have looked around and they've gotten distracted by things and we failed in our mission because we failed to take some things seriously. Do you know what your mission is all about? Do you understand what your role in this world is? Do you understand that God has a plan that is beyond your immediate world? So beginning today, I'm going to bring some messages. I struggled with this, but I have to be obedient to the Lord. Beginning today, there are some messages we're bringing from God's Word about getting serious about what God has called us to be and what God has called us to do. It's so easy. It's so easy to go for the low-hanging fruit and say, the status of our world is there because of this. It's so easy to point at the anarchy around us and the, the problems in our society, not just in our society, and say, boy, if that person were in office or that person were out of office, then things would be very different. It's very easy to look around and say, you know, if we just fixed this in this area of the world, then everything would be all right. But I don't have much control over many of those other things, but here's what we do have control over, or this is what we do have a choice in, and that is what God has called us to do. We'd better know what we're all about. And we better get serious about some things that we have, that we have taken for granted, some things that we have let slide, some things we just need to get serious about. So to begin, very simply this morning, we need to get serious about the cross. High on the wall to your right, as you're facing this platform, high on the wall to your right hangs a cross. Go ahead and look at it. It's not there for decoration. It's there for declaration. It's not there as an accent piece because that's what you put in churches. Oh, it may be in some. But it is there to declare what we're all about. There are other symbols in this room all of them important, but none is higher than that one. The cross. You probably know that the cross was originally a horrific symbol of an agonizing execution. Historians say that in all of recorded human history, crucifixion was among the most cruel and merciless methods of execution ever devised. And in graphic detail, all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, tell us that Jesus, the sinless Son of God, willingly went to a cross and died and became the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. Somebody say glory to God. I never want us to get over the wonder of that. Let me say it again. The sinless perfect Son of God willingly, they didn't force Him, willingly went to the cross. And He died so that we might have eternal life. 
And I never want to get over the wonder of that. I'm familiar with it. Yesterday I did a funeral and there were a number of people wearing crosses around their neck. I was talking with someone here at the church yesterday, precious sister, a beautiful cross around her neck. We, we, we see it a great deal, and, and so often, so many people, it's so meaningful. But I wonder if sometimes we've gotten over the wonder of the cross. We sing about it, we hear it in a song, we sang it this morning, and, and what we see are words on a screen rather than the power of what that cross represents. See, the cross is a symbol of Jesus' death and his resurrection. Here in this church, the cross that you see that, that, that powerful image, I want you to understand that, that that cross represents not only Jesus' death, but his resurrection. You see, the cross is empty. Jesus died, but he didn't remain dead. That's why we, we put a cross up, but without the image of Jesus dying. It's not because we disregard that, or because we dismiss it or disparage it. But rather, the empty cross means that, yes, Jesus died there, but he didn't just die, he also rose from the dead. What Jesus did on the cross became the focal point of our mission. Jesus did on the cross became the focal point of our purpose. It's why we do what we do. Listen to this, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23, it says this, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jew and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. What does all of that mean? For Jewish people, particularly in the first century, when Jesus was walking the earth, and in the years following his death, resurrection, and ascension, for Jewish people who had been waiting and praying for a Messiah, a crucified Christ, a crucified Messiah, was a contradiction in terms. (coughs) Their Messiah was to rule and reign, not suffer and die on a cross. (coughs) And to Jewish people, The thought of God being put to death by a human was preposterous. But to followers of Jesus Christ, Jesus' death and resurrection was the ultimate display of God's power and wisdom. To followers of Jesus Christ, that cross is, is the display, the demonstration of God's power and wisdom. You see, they knew and we know That because of the cross, we are forgiven. Because of the cross, we are forgiven. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says that on the cross, Jesus made purification for sin. That's what it says. On the cross, Jesus purified us from sin. Think about this for a moment. Everything you've ever done, every thought, every deed, every action, everything you took, smoked, slept with, what, all of that that was outside of God's plan was forgiven because Jesus died on the cross and you accepted him. That's an amazing, awesome thought. You see, our faith Our faith in Christ is not one philosophy competing against another philosophy. Our faith is not founded on an idea 
or an opinion, but rather our faith is founded upon the sinless Son of God who died on the cross and rose from the dead. That is what our faith is based upon. That's why Paul here in 1 Corinthians said, we preach Jesus crucified. It's what we do. It's what we're all about. It comes down to that simple truth. The sinless Son of God died on a cross and rose from the dead. And that is upon which our, our, our faith is founded. This is troublesome to many people. Because it makes faith in Christ distinct. It makes faith in Christ unique and exclusive and preeminent among all other beliefs. To truly believe in the cross of... To truly... I'm not talking about nominal Christian. I'm not talking about Christian in name only. <clears throat> but to truly believe in the cross of Jesus Christ means to disbelieve and to reject the claims of hope or salvation or forgiveness by any other means. You see, if there are other ways to forgive sin and other ways to reconcile us to God, if there are other ways to heaven, then Jesus wasted his time, he wasted his suffering, and he wasted his life. Glory to God, Jesus' death on the cross was not a waste. I think of those numbers that we saw a little bit ago. Some of those disturbing numbers, those trends. They represent lost people. And how many people do you know? How many people do I know? How many people are we connected with? Some even as close as family and close friends. How many people do we know who do not know yet that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead for them. How many people? Well, let me tell you something. There are more now than there was in, in 2020. A higher percentage of the population in our nation right here do not know that Jesus died on the cross for them. Do not know that forgiveness of sin is possible all they can do is hope and cope with the, the disturbing weight of sin upon them. That is so bothersome to me. It is so bothersome to me that there are people within the sound of, of, of my voice, there are people within just a short drive from here who know nothing about the saving message of Jesus Christ. There are people that you know Understand they're absolutely lost without him. We, we need to be about our father's business. We need to know what we're about. We can't be distracted by so many things. We need to understand that the greatest message that has ever been declared is one that we can declare, and that is that there's hope in Jesus Christ alone. So because of the cross, we're forgiven. Take it seriously. Others need to know this. And because of the cross, we can forgive. Let me say that again. Because of the cross, we can forgive. In receiving His grace, we then give His grace. In receiving His grace, we then give His grace. If you have received His grace, you are called to give His grace. If you have been the recipient of all that He has given you, it was never meant to reside simply in you. We are called to extend that kind of grace. But hear me, 
If the forgiven fail to forgive others, they fail to take seriously the cross of Jesus Christ. You may call yourself a Christian, but if you say, Jesus forgave me, but I cannot forgive someone else, then you are not taking seriously the power of the cross of Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus told a story of a man whose enormous financial debt was canceled. But then that man went on and refused to forgive a small debt someone else owed him. Jesus said the man who received forgiveness but didn't give forgiveness was to be, his words, tortured in prison until he paid the entire debt. I don't know about you, but that's serious. That's serious. And then... To the, listen to this, to the people that were listening to his story, Jesus said this, that is what my heavenly Father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Do, do you understand how serious that is? Jesus tells a story about someone who was whose debt was forgiven but then failed to forgive the debt of someone else. And then he makes the point of the story, that is what my heavenly Father will do. You will be tortured in prison until you pay the debt if you don't forgive others as God has forgiven you. I'm hard-pressed to think of a truth in Scripture that is more disturbing than that simple one if we fail to forgive others. I warn you. I warn you. I'm calling us to get serious about this, but I warn you. Life is too short and eternity is too long for you to persist in holding anything against anyone and thereby putting your eternity with Christ in peril. That's how serious this is. I pastored here for a lot of years. Before this, I pastored elsewhere. I've been in the ministry a long time. And there have been hundreds of times where I talked with someone. Hundreds of times where I talk with someone and I say, hey, listen, how's it going on? And, and I see them turning cold and I, and I see them turning against Christ and I see them walking away and I see them disassociating with other Christians. I see them and then I see them come and I see them go. And when I talk with them and I say, where have you been? We missed you. Invariably, I'm going to say this, probably 90% of the time, it's because they're offended against someone and they've become embittered. And rather than reconcile as God's word calls us to reconcile and forgive, they walk away. Probably 90%. I remember the first time that happened, pastoring in Minnesota and and I hear this bitterness of a one person towards another. And I say, God has called you to forgive that. And the, the, the adamant response was, I won't. As long as I live, I won't forgive. I don't always see it that adamant, but I've seen it. I've seen it so many. I've seen it hundreds of times. They hurt me. They wounded me. They said this about me. They did this to me. They didn't do this to me. 
and we withhold grace. We must become serious about the cross of Jesus Christ in both receiving his grace and giving it. But pastor, you don't know what they did to me. You're right, I don't. But I also know that you are not the exception to God's amazing grace. How dare you? How dare you think that what happened to you is beyond the power of God? How dare you? How dare you say that you who have been forgiven for so much, for the things that you have done, the things that I have done, and then we think that we can withhold grace from so How dare you? How dare me? How dare we even consider such a thing? We have received his grace. I stand here as one who's been wounded many times. Sometimes it's hard, but I know this, the one who forgave me and extended so much to grace, grace to me, gives me the grace to forgive others. Fellow believer, we need to be serious about the cross. (laughs) I struggled, I struggled with this series, not, not because I know it's not truth, but because it's just, it's hard. But I know this, that it's not about demographics and trends and and studies by Barna Research, but I'm saying, oh God, we have such a job to do. And we get distracted by so many things. And we, we spend precious, limited energy on so many things, but really only a few things are important. And that is receiving the power of the cross and giving the power of the cross. That's what we're all about. We don't, we don't build anything here. We don't make anything here. We, 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 don't, we don't espouse someone's philosophy here. We're not just another option in the religious panoply of this world. We have the truth, and his name is Jesus. And he's the only one who can save this world. What a task we have. What a precious, precious task we have. I have three simple questions for you this morning. Number one, has the crucified and resurrected Son of God forgiven you? Has he? Have you experienced the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ? Many of you, so many of you are watching online and you're maybe hearing this, somebody recommended this to you. I'm going to challenge you as well. Have you accepted the Lord Jesus Christ here in this room or elsewhere? Have you experienced his amazing grace? Jesus died on the cross for you and what he accomplished on the cross isn't just enough for someone else, it's enough for you. Has the crucified and resurrected Son of God forgiven you? Second question. Who do you know who needs this good news? Who do you know? Somebody in your home, somebody in your, in your circle of influence, somebody in your orbit, somebody at your work, your school, somebody you work beside, study beside, live beside. Who do you know who needs this? They're part of that vast group of people who know, 
who don't even know yet perhaps the, the power of the gospel. Who do you know that needs this good news? I don't know how much time we have, but I know this. In the time that we have, may we be found laboring and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Third question. Who do you need to go to this week and forgive? See, I believe that if the Holy Spirit puts it on my heart to preach it, He's also preparing people to go out and do it. And there may be some, somebody that you, the Holy Spirit is already, just even in the time that I've been sharing, lifting their, their, their face, their, their name before you. Uh, maybe even you're recalling the wounds that brought it about, and you need to go to that person. You say, well, yeah, but what they did was wrong to me. I, I get that. You go and extend grace to them. Go to them and say, this is what Jesus has done in my heart, and I want you to know I have forgiven you. Tell you, you do that, it'll be perhaps for some of you the most difficult thing you've ever done. But I promise you this, it may be the beginning of an amazing breakthrough. Number one, have you received the forgiveness that Jesus offered on the cross? Number two, is there someone you know who needs this good news? And number three, who do you need to go to this week and say, Jesus has forgiven me, now I forgive you. Because of the events of the morning were a little bit longer. I understand that. But this is very important. I'm going to ask our worship team if they would come. They're going to lead us in a song that we sang earlier. And in these very holy moments, please, if, if, if at all possible, no one moving around beyond our musicians. In this holy moment, would you, those three questions, Lord, I, am, I want to experience your grace. Number two, um, who do I know that needs this good news? And number three, who do I need to go to to ask for forgiveness? Who do you need to do that? I want you just to be pondering that in this place. Now, Lord, in these next few moments, stir us and speak to us. Lord, before we're dismissed from this place and we go into a time of fellowship, I ask that, that you will do a holy work in us and so that these moments, these precious Holy Spirit moments that are where you're stirring us, they will not be quickly forgotten in the activities of this day. But Lord, do a work right now. <clears throat> May we know that we're forgiven. May we be reminded of the lost people around us. And Lord, if there's, if there's any break between us and someone else, may we go to them and say, Lord, forgive me. And, and, and ask them for forgiveness. And ask them and tell them that they're forgiven. Tell them, Lord, help us, help us to do those three things. Uh, speak to us this day in Jesus' name. I'd like you to stand with me, please, at the close of this service. If you are, if you, if you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, I, I, I think I know most here today, but I, I, I don't want to assume that there's a lot of you that I don't know, and I don't know what God is. I don't know what God has done. There's going to be someone down here at the front to pray with you and lead you in prayer. If you're watching online, there's a place that we, we can direct you there as well. And you, you re reply to that, and, and there will be someone there to pray with you. We're trusting God that God is going to do something in the time that we have left that is amazing. See, the Bible talks about Him pouring out His Spirit at the end of days. 
And I'm very grateful for what God is going to do. I want to be a part of that. Let's sing this together. Um, and uh, it's talking about the cross, uh, his amazing love for us. Let's sing this through once. And then, uh, and then we'll close in prayer. Lord, I'm amazed by you. Lord, I'm amazed by you. Lord, I'm amazed by you. How you love me. Lord, I'm to that cross because of love. You went to that cross because of your love for mankind and your love for the Father. You went to that cross and through your death and your resurrection, you reconciled sinful mankind to holy God. And I'm amazed at that. It's, it's, it's perhaps among the most familiar images that I've seen in my lifetime but I never want to get over the amazement of that I'm amazed by you so now Lord as we fellowship we ask your blessing upon the food but beyond that we ask that you will use us in the time that we have that you will use us 
with the people that we know. We will be serious about the cross. That is our mission. That is our purpose. That is our reason for being. There's no higher thing to which we could say or speak of than the cross and the power of Jesus Christ. As we go from this place, Lord, in these moments ahead, I pray that you will use us for your glory. And we pray these things in the mighty, matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you this morning. These altars are open.